Locals, a show where we talk about queer characters, concepts, and controversies in popular culture. I'm your co-host, Lizzie. And I'm your co-host, Joseph. Lizzie, today was a race against the clock. It was? Yes. Okay, now for me, today was my day off. I, uh, <laughs> wow. I was in Lucky bed. you. I just, I took it easy. I, I was thriving. I would like, got up, fed the cat, and then went back to bed. Like, it, I did not have a race against anything. Now, I was all over the place today. I was teaching at one school in the morning, and then I had to drive all the way to the other school in the afternoon. And then I had to go to the tailor to get my pants for this wedding I'm going to this weekend. And then I got Jolly Ranchers, and I had to finish those before we started recording, because otherwise you would have heard me finagling my Jolly Ranchers in my mouth during the first couple minutes. I mean, you could have also just, like, not had them. (laughs) But I wanted them. (laughs) At Jolly Ranchers, a guy gives you free Jolly Ranchers with your pair of pants, I'm going to take them. Wait, you got them for the day? He just, like, gave you a handful of Jolly Ranchers? No, he had a little bowl of them at at the desk where you check out at the end, and I took a couple because I wanted them. I mean, that's definitely less, um, we, I, I was going to be like, listen, someone just hands you like candy. You should know by now not to, not to necessarily. Here's that. a handful of candy kids. E- exactly. That's what I was like. But it was, it was in a bowl in a business where we're fine, but I'm excited you get to go to a wedding this weekend. You should have fun. Yeah. I'm really excited. This is my first wedding in like a long time and especially like with pandemic and everything people haven't been having a whole lot of weddings so i'm i'm excited i'm it's gonna it's gonna be fun my friend is going to be having a pirate themed wedding at some point excuse me oh yeah so um basically they are already married but the family wants them to have a bigger wedding to invite Uh. like cousins and cousins so they're like all right fuck it pirate wedding (laughs) I want to go to a pirate wedding. So yeah, I've just I've been looking at corsets like the past couple weeks. Basically, I mean, there's no <laughs> date set yet or anything, but I'm like, all right, we're gonna be on theme. And I got asked to be a bridesmaid, so I'm very honored. See, this is this goes back to our conversation we were having about how much we differ when it comes to preparation for a wedding. Oh my you, god, like, listeners don't even have the date yet, and you're already looking at corsets. Meanwhile, I got my suit and tie for the wedding two weeks before the wedding and I just got I'm, the pants back a couple days before. I'm so stressed, like, for you. And here's Why? The, I mean, because that is not enough time. That's like, plenty of time. Jesus Christ. The fact that you, like, are still, like, deciding on a tie, maybe, like... I'm going with the green one. I hate the... I, I mean, I hate the red one because it makes you look like a mayor. I like, would be an office. amazing mayor. I'm not denying that, but you're not... <laughs> going to an event as a mayor (laughs) maybe i want to convey that i am a powerful person with connections god anyway i'm gonna look fantastic and you will you will look good except for your tie (laughs) wow throwing me in my tie under the bus i'm not saying you're gonna look bad but it is i don't love that tie I everybody's been so mixed on the tie. We'll have to see how it goes at the wedding. I still think the anyone blue is the safest tie color choice. Just saying. That's so much like just all the same color though. Yeah, because you got a blue black. We're, okay, we're not gonna have this fight the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or we're just gonna okay. Sorry for the 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 mini fashion argument. I'm like, listen, we can't keep we can't keep doing this. <laughs> But we'll we'll actually get to our topic. What is our topic today? Well, it's been a while. We haven't quite made an adventure into the Bifocals Book Club in a good minute. Bifocals Book Club! It's time for the Bifocals Book Club, and we are covering Cinderella is Dead, a 2020 young adult novel by Kaylin Barron. It's either Kaylin Barron or Baron, like, because it's B A Y R O N. I think in the Audible, the reading, they pronounce it Baron. I'm gonna go with that then, because I read the copy and I did not have the audiobook. <laughs> yep. So Lizzie ended up reading it like a traditional reader, and I listened to it in my car between classes. I just, it's so much easier. I feel like sometimes, like, don't get me wrong, I do love a good audiobook, but sometimes I'm like, 
they are not going fast enough for me and I just want to speed through. But that's why there's a little there's a little button you can press so that it changes the speed that they're reading at. Well, also the thing is like with I have ADHD among my many other things and I feel like if I'm just listening to things sometimes I can absolutely forget it. Like, uh, I was trying to listen to a book about chronic pain stuff uh, last year, and I just kept zoning out and being like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> so, like, this way, this is, I get to actually enjoy reading. Yeah, I I really just get so sleepy, so drowsy when I read a book with words in it. So that's, I need either, like, the audio from the audiobook or visuals in a graphic novel or comic book i what was the last physical book i read it was um the sad one it was a sad book that does not narrow it down i'm working my brain is grinding the fault in our stars there we go god that is not a happy book i read that on the beach and cried in the sand i mean that feels appropriate (laughs) but yeah let's put on our bifocals and dive into Cinderella is Dead. What did you think? Because I loved it. (laughs) This is the first book I've enjoyed in a long time. (laughs) Yay! Oh my god, that makes me so happy. I was very happy with this, yeah. Oh god, I, I I loved this book so much. This is also the exact kind of genre I read growing up. So if I had had this book as like a 13 year old, I'm not saying I would have realized I was queer earlier because I did not know, but it would have definitely opened my eyes to representation in a different way. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into the story, I did want to talk about a couple of the books that it reminded me of growing up, and I have to do a warning. So... I love one of one of these books. I absolutely I love all of them, but one of these was made into a movie and I hate the movie adaptation. Oh. And I'm like willing I'm I'm guaranteed that you have seen the movie and love it. So when I mention the title, please don't be like I love the movie because I fucking hate it. <laughs> okay, so it's Ella Enchanted. I know of it. I've never seen it. Oh, thank God. You don't need to. It's like this beautiful, beautiful retelling of Cinderella, and the movie just trashes it and makes it like this goofy teen comedy. And like everyone is miscast. Like everyone. And I love Anne Hathaway, and she does she does a good job with what she is given. And, like, if you have no idea what the source material is, you're like, this is kind of like a fun, like, fantasy teen comedy. But you read the book and you're like, they just shit over everything. Oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, Ella Enchanted and Fairest are by Gail Carson Levine. Those are two of my favorite books of hers. Ella Enchanted is the tale of Cinderella. And in this, the reason that Cinderella doesn't leave or stand up to her stepsisters and stepfamily who are treating her horribly is because when she was born a fairy put a curse on her to be obedient so if she's given an order she can't say no boo yeah so it's not the traditional abuse victim story where it's just like they're scared to leave like in a lot of cinderella stories or in the movie ever after which i also love and want to bring up later Um, where she's just so dedicated to her family and the servants who are basically her family and the farm that she's just like, I will put up with these fucking people to try and, like, keep the house running. Yeah, in Ella Enchanted, she has to do what they say, and once they realize that, they exploit it as much as they can. Fairest is about the... And it's an interpretation of Snow White, and it is a girl who thinks... who she is like the ugliest person in the world she has horrible horrible self-esteem and she is snow white supposed you know the most beautiful girl in the whole Mm -hmm. world so it is just a very interesting tale and it uses singing a lot in the novel which is why it always seemed like it would be a great musical or play or i love me a good musical 
yeah, but after they ruined Ellen Enchanted, I doubt she's going to sell the rights. Like, right. I would not sell that either. Another yeah, this... one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, this is really my kind of first step into this genre. Like, I've never really read fantasy romance type books before. I grew up reading, like, I mean, mostly comic books and stuff, but also, like, Jurassic Park and other, like, sci-fi stuff and whatever was assigned to me a lot of Shakespeare so I guess like some some fantasy stuff but nothing in this vein it's not even romance that like really got me it was just all the way these girls were written and they were just trying to figure themselves out even if that meant like for the main character in Ferris she is overcoming her massive self-esteem issues and trying to learn how to like work herself way up in the palace where she gets a job for Ella Enchanted it is trying to fight a literal curse and also trying to be someone who's more observant of what she says because she is someone who will occasionally just blurt out what she's saying and I remember I, I did that as well <laughs> growing up another book by this author Gail Carson Levine was The Two Princesses of Bomari which is about these two sisters and one of them is really brave and outgoing and adventurous and like sportsmanlike and the other one is really quiet and reserved and the one who is really outgoing gets sick with this illness that does not have a cure and there's only like a mythical cure like somewhere in the kingdom mm-hmm. and the quiet brave sister uh steps up and goes on an adventure to go find the cure so to save her sister because she only has like I believe it's two weeks or something. So I just watching these girls, I go through that like and and I just love fantasy, too, in general. That was that's what got me. Another series that I I loved, I think it's like eight books now. I I eventually stopped reading, but the Frog Princess series by Edie Baker, another one who is screwed over by a movie because this is an adaptation of the princess and the frog that takes place in like 1400s medieval magic time and got bought by disney which the movie takes place in 1920s louisiana new orleans i they they didn't even have press about the fact that they bought their rights to this and everything. The only way that, like, she's invited to the premiere and you could only see it officially on her website because Disney did not want to make, they didn't want people to read the book and, like, be like, hey, you kind of screwed this person over. Oof. But one of the, the, the frog princess in that book series, you know, she, of course, like, kisses the, the frog and becomes a frog herself. That's the reason they bought the rights. And they can't, like, it is a little bit Pride and Prejudice where they can't stand each other at first. Um, But they become great friends and then, like, fall in love later in the series. Um, She just becomes such a badass. At one point, she's, like, learning magic and turns into a fucking dragon. Ooh, I like (laughs) a good dragon. It's great. One of the, the last lines in the first book is right after she sees him as a human for the first time and it's just describing like all his flaws she's like he's a little short a little pudgy he has like a sunburn like on this shoulder and a scar over here he is the most beautiful person i've ever seen and like as a 12 year old that knocked me out man like (laughs) peak romance right there like oh so those were with like that history coming into this and it's like hey this genre that you love about girls finding themselves and also having some romance and also sometimes a retelling of a traditional story but we're gonna make it gay like i was i was right up your alley it was meant for me i was so happy so as far as a like synopsis and what this story's about the way I kind of summarize it in my notes is you've got this 16 year old named Sophia who ends up rebelling against this patriarchy that's been built on 
uh, Cinderella's fairy tale. And Cinderella had had her story over 200 years ago. And it's all about trying to unravel that history and what's been going on and trying to trying to find equality and justice for everybody. Yeah, and um, one quick note I want to make before we fully dive into the synopsis and what we really liked about the book and how much you should read it. Um, first off, if you don't want spoilers, you should pause now and go ahead and read it because we're probably going to get into everything. Yeah, it's really hard to not be spoilery as far as like what we liked about it and yeah. the main plot of the of the book. But two, um, I want to note, I think it's very important to note that this was written by a black woman and released in 2020. <laughs> so with that history of like all the Trump stuff as well as being a black woman, like I think that's so important that she like that that is the view coming into that story that right. is it's such an important voice to have and I think that's just like the authors I listed I'm not sure about Edie Baker because she was pretty private but I know Gail Carson Levine is white and I know historically voices that are amplified are white so I just think that especially when you're talking about a ser a story that is about repression having a black woman write it during a time where we had a president who was fucking terrifying and making all minorities feel like yep. they were about to be persecuted any second is very important and needs to be noted. Yeah. So with that, um, the myth of Cinderella is basically taught as like religion or almost like state sanctioned. It's their doctrine. Police. Yeah. And the 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 rule of the land is that every year all 16 year old girls have to come to a ball and get picked by suitors uh as per per to honor cinderella and you get three chances if you're not picked by uh your third ball then you're sent off to be a slave in another land you're forfeited yeah which is a very good but terrifying word. I, I love the word choice because like the forfeited, I'm like, God, that's just vague enough where I'm like, mm, don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to be forfeited. So our main character, Sophia, has never been someone who likes this. She has, she is gay. She has a crush on her friend, Aaron, who she had kissed a couple times. They had a relationship, but the longer it went on, the more that Aaron pulled away because Aaron is much more of a traditionalist in the society, and I think she feels the pressure more. Yeah, and a lot of it boils down to fear because it's, it's a very patriarchal society. The men are all in charge. Women have to be home by eight. There's the ball that they're all forced to go to, and a lot of, uh, a lot of unpleasant consequences for anybody who steps out of line. Yes, and... I, I think that was also something that, again, I I really love to see um, in not, you know, I don't love patriarchy, but like... <laughs> you heard it here it. first, folks. Lizzie loves to see the patriarchy in action. I did love a representation of a society that isn't perfect and especially isn't perfect for women to be overthrown. Um, and Ever After, which I don't know if you've seen it, it is a... Cinderella adaptation that has no magic in it and that really deals with poverty and misogyny and class structure and education which is really great uh the the fairy godmother if you want to call him that is Leonardo da Vinci it's like one of my favorite movies it's so good Wait, Leonardo but... da Vinci or Leonardo DiCaprio Leonardo da Vinci like, okay, I was wondering if that was a misspeak or if that nope, was actually... No, fucking okay. Leonardo da Vinci is the fairy godmother. Interesting. So while that deals with a lot of class structure and education, and she quotes about the fact that, like, if you're, you know, not educating your masses and not giving them resources and then they steal, isn't that a reflection of you? Like Chef Kiss, amazing. So I <laughs> it was a very like, audible Chef's Kiss, as it should be. She like it. It deserves an audible Chef Kiss. So seeing that, and then seeing like this breakdown of like 
isn't it fucked how in like societies like this today are still exist where men make all the decisions and you can't like speak without a man and all that jazz i think it's fucked yeah and there's there's some elements of um sophia's identity and her relationship with aaron that definitely are something that we still see in the modern day and is a common theme in like young adult and adult media she ended up coming out to her parents at 12 i think it was when she was 12 years old and she makes this whole big deal about you know don't you want me to be happy to which her parents respond no we want you to be safe like they'd rather have her living a safe life where she's not jeopardized or in harm or being ostracized or being punished for who she is rather than being happy and being herself and the thing is i can't even fault them for that and i can't fault most parents in that situation because you want your kids to be alive right like at the end of the day it's like i want to support you but at the end of the day like i need to keep you alive and i cannot i can fight the system but even that is dangerous and that might get you harmed so i want to do everything i can to protect you right and the problem is that sophia just wants none of that and she inherits this very fiery personality from her grandmother who told her to burn it all down which was pretty rad uh one of the criticisms i saw was that we didn't never saw the grandmother which i can i can understand that criticism i thought it was okay that we started at a place where sophia didn't really have anyone and that she had to go through all this on her own by meeting other people but her, her grandmother sounded badass, but so I get why wanting you, you wanted to see her more. Yeah, she was cool. I thought there were some points later on where I thought she was going to show up, but alas, she did not. That would that would have been a cool twist too. But the story starts, and she and Aaron's basically like, "Hey, we're done. The ball's about to start. We're we're not going to be in a relationship anymore." Aaron's a real stick in the mud. Can I say that? Okay, I have I have a line that in the where I might one of my notes just says in the words of Jenna Marbles, Aaron, I know you're just a kid, but fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like here we'll we'll get to the thing that really fucking pissed me off that she did yeah. later. But like I understand being like, hey, like we can't even continue this anymore for our safety. I truly get that. But she just becomes worse and worse as the novel gets on. And that's not a criticism of the book at all. It is a criticism of the character. And, like, I think you're not supposed to like her. And I think you're all, you are supposed to sympathize her with, with her at points because she is stuck in the society and eventually stuck in a marriage that is abusive. So I completely understand, like, some of the shit she does and says. But at the same time, fuck you. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No, so what the the new plan that um, Sophia comes up with, because she keeps telling Aaron that they can run away somewhere, this neighbor kid, Luke, who she's not, who she's like, why does he always look at me? Um, he's like, listen, I am also very gay. <laughs> so what if we have a lavender marriage? I'm going to choose you at the ball. And I'm like, I was so pumped, this kid, Luke, I... Like, I, I remember right at the beginning, I'm like, yes, lavender marriage, because I think um, more stories should utilize that. I think that we need to talk about the fact that that was much more common in history than people think. For those who don't know, that is that the term lavender marriage is just when two queer people, um, like a queer man and queer woman, marry so that they do not have to deal with the shit from family and society. <laughs> Yeah, I really thought that was the route that it was going to go down as far as, like, the main story. And then... And nope. then he gets, um... So, basically, they're discussing this at the ball, and then he shit-talks someone, and, like, a fight starts out. And so then Sophia's like, fuck this, and just I'm out. runs to the bathroom, run, and then, like, escapes the castle, and you're like, oh... And we don't see Luke until, like, the last, like, 30 pages. And I was like, no, my buddy. But <laughs> I was so excited to be, like, his friend while reading. You know that feeling when you're just like, 
in starting a piece of media and you're like, mm, this character is going to be my friend. Like, that's mm. what I felt with Luke. And then also, I do remember, like, I was like, wait a minute, he's gay and his name's Luke. I see you. I see you, Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, she escapes into the castle and escapes from the castle and hightails it out of there and ends up in Cinderella's tomb, which is a very cool detail, I thought. Then she's just trying to hide out in there from the guard so she does not get forfeited. Let me just forfeited. Um, <laughs> and that is where she meets someone who is just also in Cinderella's tomb for some reason, and her name is Constance. Constance, the fiery redhead with an awesome dagger. Yeah, I I don't know about you. I pictured Constance as a grown-up Julia from Luca. Okay. Or like an older, I should say, because they're 16. But so like I pictured her as like an old cuz she okay. describes Is Constance her... supposed to be 16? Yeah, I mean she's definitely not much older. I okay. mean They're they're the same age group. They're both teenagers and she's got like fiery red hair. She's got a chip in her tooth they mentioned and I believe if you look at closer at the Luca animation you see Julia has a chip in her tooth and like just the attitude of like you fuck with my friends I will mess you up like that just re- it reminded me a lot of Julia so that was that was really cute to like I I mean this came out before Luca so it's definitely not intentional but to me it was just like a nice little moment a nice little connection very quickly, Sophia becomes enamored with Constance. <laughs> she falls for her pretty fast. I did see that, again, as a criticism. Um, like, But I was just like, have you ever met a 16-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> you can fall for people pretty fast when you're 16. And especially a queer woman who has just been ostracized from all of society and is now all, like... Meeting you- a pretty girl with a knife. Like, yeah, you're going to fall for her pretty fast, especially when, like, the only other girl you've had a relationship with kind of treated you like shit. Yeah. I mean, I did there. So for our our audience who isn't in the know with queer memes, there is a phrase uh, called useless lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> which is when you get when queer women specifically get distracted by how pretty another girl is and they I don't have, know how to flirt or date and end up just pining over people not even that but just like staring um <laughs> because the original the original post is it's either a post or a tweet where like some girl like tripped or something but she was so pretty and the the person writing the tweet was like, I just had my mouth open and was just staring and not helping. And my friend yelled, you useless lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a moment where it's like right after they've met. And Sophia says, she's talking about her, how strong Constance's arms are. She says, I imagine how they might feel wrapped around me. And I wonder if she can tell how enthralled I am with her. Like, you're in a life or death situation. You are absolutely being a useless lesbian right now. Yeah, and there are like 30 points afterwards throughout different life and death situations where she's like, I felt this tingle down my spine. I'm like, girl, you're going to die. Stop. I'm like, yeah, there are people searching for you and like executions happening. Like, I get it. Girls are so pretty, but please focus. She's like, we were in this alley being pursued by a dangerous man. And then I looked in Constance's eyes and felt a tingle down my spine. I'm like, girl, (laughs) please. Girl, please focus. I get it. Pretty girl and 16. But you're going to die. Like, keep your head in the game. (laughs) So basically, the story from there is that Constance... Uh, tells her how the whole story of Cinderella is inaccurate because Constance is descended from the stepsisters who were really loving and loved Cinderella and saw Cinderella get like dragged away at one point and she wants to topple the misogyny also because fuck misogyny and patriarchy but also she wants to like clear her family name which again interesting take 
I re I just love a good story retelling. Uh, and they go into the enchanted forest to look for the fairy the, godmother for, for Cinderella's fairy godmother. I will say, I don't know about you when they like started mentioning it first. It just reminded me very much of the whispering woods from She-Ra of like, no one goes into the woods and like, oh. turns out, okay. Like just the very much the pilot of She-Ra where they're like, um, we don't go into the woods cause shit happens. <laughs> That also features some useless lesbians. It really does. Quite a few of them. <laughs> a whole God, bouquet. Like, listen, sometimes on this show, we we have watched or read good stuff, and I highly recommend both this book and She-Ra. <laughs> yeah, the fairy godmother also, she does kind of have some... Uh, what's her name in She-Ra? The little, like... Is it Maz? Is it Raz? Oh, I'm blanking on that right now. Yeah, but like the little old lady who is like a hundred thousand years old and just kind of chills with all her weird stuff in her cabin. Oh, it's it is Raz. Okay, so we were we were on the right track. All right, there we go. But she she's a little Raz is a little more friendly um, than this fairy godmother is, who like instantly likes Sophia and like instantly doesn't like Constance and they kind of carry that dynamic for the rest of the novel. Yeah, she was very much because of the way the reader was voicing the fairy godmother whose name is Amina. Um it very much reminded me of Older Toph in Legend of Korra how she's just like this old cranky lady living in the swamp. I mean like old cranky lady living in a swamp or forest isn't a bad way to like have your retirement years. <laughs> It's a pretty good way to spend your days. Personally, I would like to be more beachside for old cranky ladiness in Sequoia. We all want to be beachside when we're old and cranky, Lizzie. I mean, I'm already feeling the, the age, and I'm only 26, <laughs> so I might as well hope that when I do get older, I can be by the beach. <laughs> a by by the beach. Yeah, so the the novel goes with trying to come up with a plan to take down the king because Amina reveals that it has always been one king and that the reason you don't see the king in his like retirement years and he then chooses someone random from like another city it's actually just him like regenerating his youth which pretty pretty terrifying <laughs> Yeah, just the same dude over, like, four generations, sapping the youth out of people. I mean, we don't get to that, we don't get to that revelation until later, but it is, it is, like, that is essentially how he is getting it. He is keeping people and then taking their youth and then using that to kill them, and uh, that is how he actually ended up killing Cinderella, which they find out because they're like, hey you know what we should do to figure out a way to defeat the king? Let's fucking raise Cinderella's corpse. Let's do some necromancy. That's always, like, the easiest way to go about figuring things out. Honestly, first off, what a cool thing to put in the story. Did not expect <laughs> that at all. But it also just made the title drop even more intense. Like... It was like, Cinderella, Cinderella is dead. Is oh, dead. get it? Because the story, because she's dead, and that's where the story is, is starting. Oh, Cinderella is dead, because get it? The myth, like, the whole thing is a myth. Oh, Cinderella is dead. Get it? Because we're raising her fucking corpse. <laughs> like, just the levels to it all. I kept just being like, oh, every time they revealed a twist. <laughs> there were a lot more twists in this than I thought there'd be. It was great. I'm like, I really, I, I can't, I I am gonna gush about this book. I don't think it should be a movie because they would ruin it based on history. <laughs> but yeah, they they raise Cinderella. She's like, uh, I don't really get, can't really give you much information that would help you. But good luck. He sucks, and he did murder me. <laughs> That's about what we get. Is just like, yeah, my life sucked. He took my he took, and then she dies again. Yeah. Um, so plot-wise, like, that much doesn't happen between, like, arriving with Amina and then raising Cinderella, but we do see Constance 
and uh, Sophia grow closer and then they go back to a cabin and they decide to prepare by like Sophia just going to the next ball because he's now holding like an emergency ball. <laughs> yeah, he's essentially trying to draw her out through this winter cotillion, which the whole pr- well, the premise is to draw her out, but the the lie that he's put together is to try to punish people for what she did and then bringing all of the people who haven't been claimed to the palace and forcing them to be claimed or get forfeited. Which is, you know, it's it's also something that is not out of place for his character to, mm-hmm. you know, just put it even if someone hadn't run away, like that is a, that is something that shitty rulers do is that they want to punish people. Uh in fact, we even see earlier in the novel a woman who did who didn't even help Sophia that much. It was her seamstress and she just gave her some nice like ribbons for her hair. Mhm she doesn't give any information up to the king because she didn't have any and she is executed in the public square they behead her beheaded right there in front of everyone which first off dark as fuck second off shows us how serious this ruler is and uh third adds more to sophia's motivation so we have this winter cotillion coming up and sophia and constance and amina are planning to go so that they can try to beat the king or kill the king, really. And at some point after that, Sophia decides, you know what? I still have feelings for Aaron, so I'm going to go check in on her. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Backtrack a little bit. Okay, sure. Because Sophia and Constance kiss, finally. They and do. it's it, good job. You... And it sends a tingle down her spine yet again. <laughs> <laughs> you really have a problem with that phrase. They It came up so many times. Okay. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see a pretty girl, I do indeed get a tingle down my spine. Well, yeah, same, but... Okay, then it checks out. (laughs) If you're writing, you should be able to describe it in other ways besides just that. Okay, fair. That's very fair. But um, Constance and Sophia have a kiss, and they're they're flirting and giggling a lot, and it's very cute. Um, But, yeah, Sophia does decide that she wants to go say if she see if she can get Aaron out and also like say she wants to say goodbye but also like still has these complicated feelings yeah because she figures either I'm gonna die in which case I want to say goodbye or I'm gonna win this thing in which case I want her to know like how I'm feeling and be able to like give her an option to help us out or come with us and that's where the scene that I don't know about you but this was the scene for me you just I know you're a kid, but fuck you. <laughs> Aaron sucks. Like, so, we get there and uh, we think that it's going to be some sort of nice reunion. And it basically boils down to Aaron refuting Sophia's feelings and shutting her down and telling her that she's stupid and to go away forever and that it'll never happen and that she was better before knowing her. And it's just like this whole put down session. And I'm like, Man, Sophia shouldn't have to be fighting for this. Like, you shouldn't have to fight for people's affection or people's feelings, especially with someone like this. And the thing that bothered me is, for for context, Aaron did get picked at the ball by someone who is now abusing her and right. is very openly abusing her. Like, she has, like, bruises on her face and everything, but no one can say anything because he is a very powerful man so even if more men in the society wanted to speak up they cannot but she so like she she is in that shitty situation but she starts blaming Sophia for her situation She's which like, really you abandoned me, off. me even though you told me I could go with you and yeah, gave me a she thousand says that she, opportunities uh, to leave this mess Sophia offers so many times, like, we can get out of here. We can get out. And then... Let's run away. Let's go start a new life together. Let's go out. Let's get help. Let's do something else. And Aaron tells her over and over, it's impossible. And then, like, she comes back to also possibly try and save her. And she's like, you abandoned me. Get out of here. And it's like, well, which one are you fucking feeling? Truly, I understand you're in a shit situation and that you are being abused. It is not the fault of this girl. It's 
just it's in it was infuriating i was listening to it in the car this morning and i was like girl you know bad <laughs> i was just like infuriated and i had to rewind a couple times because i was just like in disbelief over how bad that was I, I just, again, have you met 16-year-olds? I will I will give her that caveat and the fact that she is being abused. But again, it's not fucking Sophia's fault. Mm-hmm. It is the fault of this society. It is the fault of the man who is abusing you. And I'm not going to victim blame, but I will say you can't blame the girl who tried to get you out of the situation first. And I really like that they don't, they don't make it seem like Aaron's in the right. They very much have Sophia talking to herself in her head like, you know what? No, she's wrong. I gave her an opportunity. I shouldn't have to fight for this. Like, they very much make sure we know that Sophia's kind of in the right here. Yeah, very, very good to not sugarcoat any of that or make it seem like... Aaron really has ground to stand on other than the situation she's in. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that because there's so many books for teenagers with shitty, toxic romances. <laughs> oh, there's so many. And it's like, this one's just like, please date someone who respects you. Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah. So um, also what I really like is that Sophia is okay, does make it back to Constance, and she's like, hey... I think it was kind of shitty of me to not make it clear that this was not a choice between you. I needed closure and I got that. And I thought that was very good healthy communication and also just cemented their relationship. So I was just got I was really happy with that. Very thought it was a very cute good moment. It was good and I I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't like this they didn't spend pages and pages and pages making us kind of get torn between Aaron and Constance. It's like, yeah, nope, they we got our did closure with Aaron. A, we're leaving we did that not behind. Have we're a, just focusing on Constance and Sophia. Very, very much in the beginning of meeting Constance, um, the Sophia has moments of like, I feel guilty because I still have feelings for Aaron. And then those feelings start to like gradually fade the more she knows Constance and, you know, Constance isn't treating her like shit. Mm-hmm. So Constance is like, I'm going to teach you how to stab people. And also, you're beautiful. Which, like, yeah. what else do you need, right? Honestly, the ideal <laughs> woman. <laughs> so they have some more days together. And then they get ready for the ball. And the plan is for Sophia to just go in and be like, what's up I'm here and then for Aaron to sneak in as well and for Amina to sneak in and they're all going to try and take down the king try and, to kill the king and the the plan starts out okay because he sees her in the crowd and then dances with her and then like she's basically like I know you're fucking 200 years old and that you killed Cinderella and he orders everyone out and she's like cool i have my my super awesome dagger and i'm just gonna stab him like constance taught me so she stabs him in the neck and nothing happens (laughs) and he laughs and there were some parts of this book did get a little predictable like i as soon as that knife went into him i was like okay and he's gonna laugh and nothing's gonna happen and then the audio reader was like and then he let out a laugh. And I was like, I know it. Yeah, there was too, there were too many pages of it. I'm like, okay. so And like, part of me was like, you know he's been living this long. Do you think a knife's going to do anything? That, that was your plan? So that's why I wasn't super surprised by that. But she gets thrown in the dungeon, and with, which has all these individual cells. And manages to like lock pick her way out which again chef kiss you're doing amazing sweetie using her awesome butterfly accessories by the way she got this whole like moonlight outfit from the fairy godmother from amina and this awesome like black carriage with the red accents on the horses like i was impressed with that that was pretty cool it's gonna be stylish it's a fairy godmother for a gay girl like (laughs) 
you know it's gonna look great. It's gotta look good. And she goes around the castle, gets some evidence, including uh, Cinderella's journal, which honestly, they made, I will say that is a criticism I had. They made like a big deal of like, oh, we gotta get Cinderella's journal and diary to see how to defeat the king. And then they get the, she gets it and it's like nothing. It's like no useful information. Yeah, they do. I thought there would be more of a reveal or something, something bigger that would come out of that. But really it was more of just a dead end. Yeah. It added a little bit to the tension as far as, you know, their plan kind of falling apart. But yeah, I think that should have been built up more than, you know, stabbing the king and nothing happening because that's what I expected. So I think if they had built that tension more for, like, got to get the diary, and then just nothing, like, if that had been built up much more, that could have been more tense. But I'm trying to think, like, what what could have been in the diary that we would have appreciated or that would have added to the story in a good way? That's fair. I think that's a fair question. I don't have an answer for it. Stumped yet again. I win. No, I think that there's, (laughs) if you're, like criticizing and analyzing a story there are questions to ask that you won't always have answers to Mm -hmm. um but then she manages to free everyone in the cells and that is when we fucking see luke again that is your boy i was like my friend my guy your dude and everyone reveals to her that like the king has been like dementoring them and just sucking the youth out of them Yup. And we get a lot of twists at this point. It is very, it is very twist, 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 twist. (laughs) Um, Which I appreciated. It had me like, not on the edge of my seat, but I, I initially was going to listen to this later in the day and finish it on my way home from work. But I'm sitting in the car, like right before class starts. I'm like, I got to see how this ends. I got to figure out what's going on here. See, that's one of the reasons. That's why I like to to read as opposed to the like audiobook. Because I'm like, I gotta, I gotta take this with me everywhere and see what's gonna (laughs) happen. When I was little, I I used to. Well, not even when I was little. Like up until almost high school, I would get in trouble for having a book on my lap under the desk in classes. I just had so many good stories. So uh, there ends up being a like a battle between the king and Amina and Constance and Sophia and the the big one of the big twists that's revealed is that Amina is the king's mother Manford's mom dun 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 that legitimately like shook me I was shaken I I was not shooketh but I I didn't expect it I didn't expect it (laughs) I was like, hold up, let me rewind, because that was wild. I will say one of the criticisms I have about the book is that in the end, we never really know whose side Amina was on. We think it was Sophia's. because a little bit of nuance. Because what ends up happening is she gets Sophia's knife back from the king that he had, you know, taken out of his neck and gives it to Sophia, like, just as Constance is stabbing Amina. So it doesn't really seem like she would have made sure to give Sophia the weapon if she hadn't been mm-hmm. on her side. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I what I feel. I think she was kind of playing both sides. But Yeah, but I <sighs> It's like the the always sunny in Philadelphia meme. I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. <laughs> I actually don't think I've seen that meme, but that is that is what playing both sides is. I yeah, I it's left pretty unclear. And I I'm I'm leaning towards the fact that, you know, she went to give Sophia this dagger cuz otherwise it would have had, you know, it would have made a point of being like Sophia being like and then I, you know, made sure to grab a weapon off the floor or something. Mm-hmm. So they I forget what happens to Constance, but she has to Oh, she gives her doesn't she give her keys to free more people? Yeah, she gets she gets the keys so that she can let people out and then the king because they're tied together by necromancy, the Amina and the king, 
he just starts like de- and the way they describe it too is so grody like he's decomposing and his skin is melting off yeah that's pretty gross he like the audio the reader of the audiobook was also like changing her voice to sound like she was dripping and goopy and Ooh. and i was like oh this is this is rancid i love it well done but you <laughs> yeah he's he's just uh it it definitely felt like a a written version and a, a a bit slowed down version of the last crusade scene where he drinks from the wrong grail oh, uh-huh and he just ages within a minute like thousands of years and then drops to dust it felt like a a version of that that was lengthened out but basically he he then tries to Dementor. That's what I'm gonna use because, like, that I will say that that's basically what it was. He was sucking the soul, energy, life, youth force out of all these people. He tries to do it to Sophia, and um, like she kind of like has a mind meld moment with him, and is like, "Cool, I just need to stab him in the heart," and does, and he just explodes, <laughs> as one does when they get stabbed. I mean, you don't fully like anime style explode necessarily when you get stabbed but if you're 200 years old using ancient magic you probably you're probably gonna explode yeah fair enough and then sophia goes to rescue more people and passes out in a fire but constance rescues her so it is it is all good she gets swept off her feet by princess charming and i mean I was going to say, and that's what she always wanted, but in the beginning of the book, she says, you know, I'd rather be a knight saving a princess, which is really cute. And I, I, she did get to do that, like, multiple times. She kept freeing all these girls and, like, going back every single time for all these people, but mostly women who were stuck in these terrible, like, mm-hmm. dank basement jail chambers. And she gets to have that with Constance because they kept saving each other during this fight and trying to take down the king so it was a nice it was a nice balance that they saved each other and helped each other out multiple times and then at that point we see the fall of well not the fall of the kingdom but the the palace is in ruins it's on fire everything's on fire and they come out and basically say, yup, we killed the king, so we get equality now. And that's yeah, how the and, world's going to work. Uh, if only. Uh, I do appreciate that the last chapter is like basically like, so this did not happen instantly. There were people who were not on board, especially the men who were abusing everyone. Right. But they they did eventually progressed to freedom and then constance was the ruler and i was like fuck yes king constance i am on king board. Constance, i was down for that i initially i thought it would be sophia but then i was like you know what no it makes more sense for it to be constance and it makes it more that, sense it wasn't just a pure monarchy too they had a council and yeah had several people working together to run the kingdom to improve it and make things good for everyone yeah, I thought, again, it made more sense, but also I was expecting Sophia, so it was a nice little curve. Like What a twist. The The writer was really good at, like, throwing some of those up. I am bummed that, like, Luke <laughs> was sidelined for so much of the story, because I had such high hopes for him. Uh, I, I think this is a standalone novel. I know that the author has another series that is modern. Um, if she ever did another book for Cinderella is Dead, I think it would have to be, like, a standalone, like, not necessarily sequel, but I would like to see, like, a spinoff with Luke getting a nice boyfriend. That would work. I'd read it. Maybe they go to another kingdom? Like, who knows? So, one thing that I really liked about this ending and the way that they sort of started to transition towards, uh, you know, the, the council and freedom and equality for everyone and this is a point that really needs to be driven home more which is this line that it's along the lines of don't do what is right because they're your daughters or your sisters or your wives or whatever like do what's right because they're people like treat people well treat them properly treat them with respect that's how life should work and that's yeah. 
that's something that that kind of gets overshadowed with a lot of talk of like oh you know these people out here could be your sister or your daughter and it's like no they're just they're people like respect them for being people yeah i had that i had that quote highlighted too with the Look at your children, your friends, your wives, and your daughters. Don't do what is right because they hold these titles. Do what is right because they are people. Make a choice to change things. Mm-hmm. So there was there was that. And like that is, like as you said, I think, especially as someone who watches as much SVU as I do, but also <laughs> sees rape culture, um, people will be like, well, what if that was your daughter? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's a fucking person. Like, that shouldn't be your qualifier. Right. There shouldn't have to be any sort of qualifiers like, oh, but they're somebody's daughter or like, just respect them. Yeah. And um, another another thing, though, that I really liked is Sophia does reunite with her parents, but it is left open as to whether or not that relationship is going to fully heal because Uh she did when she tries to escape the palace, she does initially go to them. And her dad's like, you need to leave because we'll all die. And Sophia's mother, this is like the first time ever that Sophia's mother has like argued with him. And she sees them in the crowd and they they reunite. And the, the highlight I had for that was, all I've ever wanted is to be seen by them, to be precious to them. I don't know if what has been broken between us can be fixed, but this feels like a good start. Mm-hmm. And I think that is definitely something that a lot of queer kids can relate to you don't necessarily have the best coming out but a lot of parents do come around a lot of parents do realize that they have made the wrong choice to not be supportive some of them don't and that sucks and i'm sorry and i am your parent now but (laughs) you've been adopted by lizzie congrats i'm your dad like let's go (laughs) i will i will take you to the batting cage and we'll get some ice cream (laughs) <laughs> is that not that's what my dad did with me on saturdays sometimes well, it was great that's good that's good dad material hell yeah i also make a great burger and i like watching old tv shows like mash and i can you know like I, listen i am dad material but <laughs> <laughs> my point stands that that is something that a lot of queer kids really can relate to is that trying to reestablish. A relationship with parents who were not initially supportive of their entire identity right so that was and it's not you know necessarily this immediate fix it is not you know oh we are going everything is sunshine and rainbows right now just like just like the ending of trying to get equality and having an actual democracy and I don't even know if they go for democracy but they do try and go for one step at a time yeah they they do try and go for good ruling and a good nation and government so i think that it's good to show both the realistic both both things will take time both reestablishing equality and both having a re a reunite both having like there, what's the reunite like a reunification a with reunion? her parents a re motherfucker <laughs> did you forget the word reunion brain fog is a hell of a drug my dude chronic pain gives you a thing called brain fog where you just forget words <laughs> I was like where is she going with this seriously I forgot the word reunion that's where I was going with this <laughs> But yeah, the, she has that reunion with her parents, but it is not instant and it mm-hmm. is not necessarily going to end up great, but they are giving it a shot and they do have regrets of how they treated her. And I think that was good to show that as well. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I would love a sequel to this that focused on like the the transition of power and the changing of society and seeing how people like rebel and kind of refuse that and all the conflict that that might create and just seeing more of of Constance and Sophia I don't think I would be interested in um looking at the people that rebel and like trying to put up all those walls I I definitely would be interested in a spin-off of Luke and you and your Luke 
I just wanted to be his friend. Um, <laughs> but also, it is at one point set up for a possibility of a sequel or spinoff because they mention other fairy tales that are not necessarily true. Like, I think it's Snow White that they mention. Ooh. So, you know, like maybe Luke or, you know, uh, another friend of Sophia's or someone she knows goes off to another kingdom or area or town or village and they deal with some other crisis that is related to that fairy tale. I would read that. Yeah, I don't I don't think that this would work with a direct sequel just because we already know how it ends eventually we get a quality. Mhm. So, but I I did I loved this book. I I really I wish I had had something like it growing up just to see more representation. Um to see a, a a black lead character too that was great just a queer black girl fighting the patriarchy she was just also really fun to read because she isn't a stereotypical like strong female character tm who is just like fully assured of everything <laughs> she is questioning her choices and she's scared and i think that's really realistic but very brave yeah, you had these very realistic characters. You had some very realistic... Just all across the board, I really enjoyed this book. So if we end up ever getting merch or having a little, like, you know, Patreon reward or something, we can make little stickers that say, Bifocals Book Club Approved. Oh, that would be... I mean, then it kind of se seems like, you know, like the Oprah Book Club. So I don't know... Yeah, but our opinions matter. Do not insult Oprah, <laughs> first off. But second off, I love the idea. I have I have wanted, like, a, if we do merch, we should do Bifocals Book Club. But I don't know if it's Bifocals Book Club approved. We'll, we'll still workshop, but I definitely would love a Bifocals Book Club something. Bifocal, we should at least make something for us to have, like oh, yeah. a little book bag <laughs> or a shirt yeah. or something. We, we can definitely make something for us. Uh, well, just for us, exclusive. Just for us. But yeah, I I definitely recommend this book. I again, I'm gonna ref like recommend the books that I grew up with: Ella Enchanted and Fairest and Two Princesses of Bamari by Gail Carson Levine. Um, one another one of hers that is pretty different from this sort of genre is called Ever, and it is about a girl who falls in love with a god. And dealing with the whole religious aspect of that, it's very interesting and still goes into mythos because it, she essentially created her own religion just for this book. So it is not cool. insulting any religion. It's, I fucking love this woman. <laughs> Gail Carson Levine, if you're listening, I love you. Um, and again, I still, ref I still recommend the Frog Princess series by Edie Baker. And I think everyone should watch the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore. And I think everyone should read this book as well. And that is Kaylin Barron. It's Kaylin Barron with Cinderella is Dead, Bifocals Book Club approved. Much, much better than Space Opera. God, we that, suffered through Space Opera. We went we through were... so much for you, listeners. We we suffered <laughs> through Space Opera for your entertainment. Now, now but we, we can at least say that with this, this. We, this was good. This was good. This was a good book. Yeah, I I would and I would also I think what's important, you know, we've said spin-offs, sequels or whatever. I would read this again and I think that's important. Oh yeah, I would definitely go through this again and maybe just like listening to it on the way home or something if I'm like camping or something just have a nice book to read. Folks, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Bifocals and our trip to the Bifocals Book Club. Thank you to John Bartman for our intro and outro Tupac Lives. Big thanks to our Patreon supporters, the folks that have been helping us keep the show afloat and eventually upgrading Lizzie's mic stand so that she doesn't have to worry about it falling over. It did fall down right before we started recording. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be upgrading her mic stand shortly using our, our funds from our patrons, and we thank you very much for that. If you'd like to help support the show and help us expand the show and improve our tech and help keep the show afloat, because we do have to pay for the hosting fees 
uh, there will be a link to our Patreon in the episode description. If you enjoyed this episode and you've been enjoying what we've been doing so far, please, 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 if you could, share this episode around with your friends, your family, your enemies, your lovers. I know I usually interject here, but I, I can't think of anything to describe, oh, like, no. Constance that isn't, like, a paragraph long. I'm just like, you're... Your sword, your dagger-wielding girlfriend, I guess, is the shortest <laughs> I can come up with. Your spine-tingling buddy. Your gal pal. Your, your gal pal. There we go. Your, your useless medieval, lesbian your, friends. Your useless lesbians in who are destroying the patriarchy. <laughs> like, see, everything I, can, I was thinking of was just so long, so I'm just going to go with dagger-wielding girl. <laughs> there we go. If you've got ideas for future episode topics and you want to send them in you can email them to us at bifocalscast at gmail.com or you can reach out to twitty to lizzie on our twitter <laughs> see you forget words too I, no, I misspoke i didn't forget there's a difference <laughs> regardless yeah you can you can reach out to lizzie on twitter and she'd be happy to take a look at your recommendations because we could always use ideas for future episodes i've been joseph I've been Lizzie. Thanks for tuning in to Bifocals. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.